our podcast. Welcome to the Immigrant Hustle. I am your host, B Magic. I got a few of my friends here with me. I let them introduce themselves. Yo, 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 what's up, man? I'm uh, Harpreet, <laughs> aka Hey Harpreet. Hey. You see me on that Instagram. Ow. <laughs> we got your brother. Well, we also got Dusty Loops with us on the boards right now, you know, taking care. <laughs> <laughs> taking care of the ad libs taking care of the sound making sure the mic sounds nice hey, and hey hey who's that crispy voice right there hey i go by the name of noise <laughs> um yeah you can call me that i guess um all right so uh yeah we decided to do a podcast and uh noise why don't you talk about it what are we trying to do with this yeah so the idea of the podcast kind of came out of just regular conversations we would have at the studio. So yeah. like it would be me and Dusty or, or the three of us or whoever was in the room, kind of conversation would go in a lot of different directions. Obviously we'd focus on the music, but it would also go to, to talk about you know, what's going on in the music world as a whole, what's going on in politics, what's going on locally, culturally. So um, our conversations really kind of veered in a lot of different directions and we got really deep into it. They got yeah. really heated. So. You know, we would always say, oh, that needs to go in a podcast. That needs to go in a podcast. So um, I think like podcast is like the new mixtape, yeah. essentially. Yeah. So. Every, no, everybody's doing it. And uh, like a, uh, one thing is that we have all kind of slowly become fans of the, the this podcast culture that has popped up. And I literally started because I like the hip hop podcast. But now I've literally veered off into all sorts of shit. And like literally now, like I'll be listening to like true crime one minute and then hip hop podcast the next minute. And then like Joe Rogan interviewing somebody who I've never heard of. So it's like, I feel like we all kind of like the space, but we wanted to do it in a natural way so that we're kind of just those conversations that we were already having in the studio while creating. And um, yeah, so that that's pretty much what we're trying to do with this. And um, yeah, so the name as well. I want to touch upon the name. Yeah. So the, the concept behind it. So we have the name Immigrant Hustle. You know, all four of us here, we all come from immigrant families. Coming from immigrant families, you see what's modeled to you from a very young age is, you know, th that principle or that value of hard work. Yeah. And our parents all come from, you know, they came from situations where they had to establish themselves pretty much from nothing. Yeah. And that required lots of grind, lots of focus. That required, you know, work seven days a week more than eight hours every day. So these were kind of the mentalities that allowed them to progress. And so Immigrant Hustle doesn't necessarily apply just to immigrants in the context of how we want to adapt that term. It's more so for people who embody that, that hustle mentality. Yeah. So, you know, we're going to have our conversations where we're just, you know, talking smack to each other, but <laughs> we're also going to have guests on the show and have go in depth with interviews for people that embody that immigrant mentality mind state yeah whether that's in music whether it's fashion art media whatever the case may be other people whose hustles we admire we want to focus that we want to spotlight that definitely and that's the thing we have grown up in this music scene here for about 10 years of working with each other and along the way we've met people from all sorts of industry fields and these are people that have done really wonderful things and we want to highlight all the work that goes behind the stuff that you may think is just a viral hit uh, and a one and a one one off chance that these people got lucky. No, there's a lot of work that and labor that goes into these 
people. So with the interviewing, yeah, we want to talk to uh, some people that we know and uh, whose uh, careers we've been following and or just lives we've been following. Other than that, we want to touch on topics as in hip hop music. We are all avid hip hop fans. We want to break down albums that have been released. We want to have debates. We want to pretty much have barbershop talk when it comes to hip hop. There's going to be sports. We, we, we might get nasty into politics. I know, hey, Harper. Uh, mm, <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, we're pretty much going to keep this open. We're going to have special guests uh, come through here and there. But um, yeah, that's pretty much what we want to get into. And uh, we're going to try to keep this as consistent as possible, as well as dropping our music. We are musicians. For those that do not know us, uh, maybe, maybe we should talk about that. Because yeah. there are going to be people who are listening to this who may not even know our stories. Yeah, so I mean, we've heard your voice quite a bit, so I guess we'll start with you. Um, who is the man behind Be Magic, <laughs> if you will? Fuck, man. This is going to be my behind the scenes where I have a cocaine problem and, uh, and shit just didn't pan out for Be Magic. Um, no, well, um, I don't know. Where should I go? Should I go from the starting? I, I think you have a really, a really interesting story as far as where you were born and coming to Canada. I feel like that's a really, you know, you've talked about it in your music a bit for the people that might not be familiar with it. Can you break that down a bit? Um, that is the, I am a musician. I was uh, born and raised in the wonderful country of Norway. I, uh, me, my family immigrated to Canada. I was um, in, I, was, I believe around 98 at the ripe age of 10, I came here. Um, <laughs> I knew maybe a little bit of English just through music and cartoons, but Pretty much, I was just strolling around these Brampton streets with an IKEA accent for the first few years yeah. of my life. Um, so hold on, just to, just to stop you there, then. So you know, '98. It's one thing if you know someone immigrates when they're three, four years old. They're yeah. still in a really uh, malleable state where they can really learn and jump between a lot of things. But when you're 10, yeah. yeah, you're still young, but you can really be set in your way. So I guess what was that like as far as coming from a place where you're speaking an entirely different language? And, you know, you're surrounded by just a completely different culture. What was that like for you in the first few years? It was it was kind of just like resetting life because it's like that confidence that that I had found through sports growing up as a child, as a child, like that confidence. Yeah, I was, I was confident there. But now all of a sudden you're coming to a country where um, you don't know how to be cool yet. You know, you don't know what to say to... I don't even know how to say certain things to kids, right? And it's yeah. like different culture, different language, different everything. So it's like any type of confidence that I did have within myself was completely like shut down at the age of 10. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, from being head up, chin up, everything to like head down thing and like wondering uh, if I'm going to have friends to... Which I, and it ended up naturally coming very quickly afterwards, but it's just like everything got flipped upside down. And then luckily I figured it out slowly. I started playing sports here. Um, uh, the first few years, like my brothers showed me a lot of hip hop. So it's like trying to figure out what they're saying now that I can understand English and yeah. different songs meaning different things rather than it just being a flow and a bop that I liked, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you talked about sports there. Um... So what sports did you play and what sports do you still play? Um, growing up, I was I was mainly into soccer, but uh, Norway being like a very like uh, like winter sporting thing, like you, you grew up, I grew up like ski uh, skiing and stuff like that, like cross country skiing, stuff like that. There's actually a, a national sport in Norway called bandy, which is kind of like hockey, yeah. but with you're playing with kind of like a field hockey. It's kind of like a mix of field hockey and hockey, but on ice. 
so I played that growing up and then um, yeah like um, I played in an academy when I was in Norway and then when I moved here I just kind of didn't under like my my parent my parents or my brother didn't really know what to put me into I, I didn't understand the rep system the house league so I just went into like a random house league and just I enjoyed it though but I was ripping shit because it's like <laughs> you know kids here like they were just there so their parents didn't have to you know yeah pay attention to them for an hour or two <laughs> so it was like me I was schooling them and then uh, like yeah I still play I'm still a very active in all sports but yeah competitively I was the best at soccer and that did take me probably the furthest but yeah I still enjoy playing basketball with the homies here and there and yeah. uh but yeah, sports was probably my first love mm -hmm. before music. But then I feel like once I learned English and I understood the meaning behind saying all these things in a song, I feel like that's when I understood. Like, it started as, let me just try to do what, what people that, that are my heroes do. Yeah. And then once I figured out, oh, this computer mic and having like the shitty, you know, remember when they used to have those shitty uh, computer mics that like looked like a fucking stick? <laughs> it was one of those things. So I did yeah. that and I put it beside my fucking speaker. And that's literally how I recorded some of my first songs. And it was, it would be like a diss track and I'd send that shit over MSN to the homies, <laughs> you know, like that was the innocence that made me love this shit. But it was something cool about saying something and then hearing it back, hearing my voice back. Because to me, I don't think my voice is deep. When, like, but then when I fucking hear it, I'm like, who the fuck is this fucking guy, right? <laughs> but it's like when I'm speaking, I don't feel like it's that it's that deep. So it was like it was kind of cool, and that's kind of where I fell in love with. It. The the biggest song that was like all over the radio when I came to Canada was Jay Z and Jermaine Dupri, Money in a thing, thing, yeah, yeah, which is a hard song and. I love that video because that's kind of... I, I came at a time where the shiny suit era was coming, right? It was yeah. the, the flashy aspect of hip-hop was just coming into it. It wasn't the, the knowledge shit that my brothers had shown me before, right? So it's like, now that I'm finally understanding it and now it, this flashy suit shit is coming around, right? And it's like, I just... Yo, them two in like, in like, in like Jaguar switching four lanes. Like, yo, live. <laughs> It was dope, you know? And as a kid, it was like, yo, that's all I... You, you become very... You want to do what you see, right? So that that was my thing. And then I started meeting people. And then that's kind of when I ran into Devious Minds. And me and him started recording in a basement. And through that, I, that's kind of when Humble started putting... His, uh, he put voice for the voiceless mm -hmm. out on YouTube. And to me, I was like, yo, there's some other Punjabi guy rapping. Like, what the fuck? Like, I didn't like I liked rap just for the sake of rap. Like, there was no Punjabi role model for me to look at. My brothers showed me hip hop. And through that, I fell in love with it. But, but there, there was really nobody to look at to be like, we can do it, too. I just did it in a basement for fun. Yeah. Not thinking that motherfuckers would be like, yo, this brown guy is not supposed to be rapping. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I didn't even think about what some people might think of me as a rapper. I just wanted to do it. Right. So then me and Devious started working at one point and we started making like actual songs. And I'm seeing, yo, there's this, you got to structure it with a 16 hook. Like now it's like, yo, this is like, yo, there's more to it than just going out there and freestyling, right? And bars and this and that. Through that, I, um, I reached out to Humble. Humble was, uh, was uh, just starting to release music online, but it was really picking up and it was really becoming a thing amongst Punjabis, not only in the greater Toronto area, but Punjabis all over the world. And that's kind of where this 
Indian subculture within the internet started. Yeah. Right? Because it's like, it, it like, right when the internet popped and YouTube started popping off, like, Punjabi kids got inspired, man. Mm -hmm. And I was one of those kids. And um, I, I remember giving, uh, sending my songs out to Humble. And I guess at this point, a lot of kids were doing that. And Humble realized, yo, I can do a show downtown and put a few kids ahead of me on a, on a bill, right? And I'd never, ever been on a stage. Never uh, rapped on a, like a microphone with like speakers. Yeah, so, so he gave you that opportunity on a show. With, on, without seeing me. Just on the strength yeah, of, you know, I like this kid. Maybe hearing two, three garbage songs. <laughs> like, he saw potential, yeah. but he also wasn't afraid to be like, yo, you need to polish this. Which I, I, I didn't even take it in the wrong way. I always like, okay, this is what I got to do. This is what, like, yo, this guy's teacher telling me, yo, too many words here. Cut out a word here. You know, like, work on your flow. And that's when I realized, okay, yo, you're nowhere close to as good as you think you are in your, <laughs> in your head, right? But, yeah, through that, he gave me a show based off the strength of just, like, seeing potential in me and seeing another Punjabi kid who loves hip-hop as much as him. And he heard my story. He's like, yo, there's this fucking Norwegian kid, barely spoke English for a few years, and he's making songs like this. So I guess that's what he what he saw in me. And in that show, like I remember going in there and I had to sneak Devious into that show because he was under fucking 19 <laughs> at that point. Like and like I remember we were, like I was worried about that. And then like we were trying to figure out back doors to like sneak friends into and shit like that. And then while we're doing that, I would see Humble in the back and behind the stage. There was like a room. And that was the first time I met him. Mm. And literally through that. It, like that like I talked to him for like five minutes I was just nervous I, like I met Fate there that day didn't know that he was on the bill yeah I met Big Bird there that day um I don't remember if Sonny Malton was there can't remember yeah I don't I don't know if he was there but I just remember seeing okay oh there's a bunch of other Punjabi kids doing what I'm doing and that was fucking really exciting to me as a young kid right and then through that performed everything was sick like i remember there was like a freestyle session at the end like i ripped it like i said like some stupid ass shit like my my bars early on was just like funny stuff i really wanted to just be like that funny guy on uh, on on the raps right so i would say shit that people would be like oh right so for some reason that all the one memory i have is during the freestyle i said something and my last line just made everybody go buck and that gave me such like a gratification like yeah i had gotten that through sports like when you score a goal and shit like that, but it was completely different feeling. Being so vulnerable, going on a stage and then winning people over and then being like, yo, all that fucking shit is lifted off me. Mm. It was something about that that was so amazing. And then literally as I get off stage, people, so many people showing me love and like, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting all this praise and I'm like, yo, this is fucking dope. Like, yeah, maybe I am good. Maybe now that, that little bit of confidence is coming back. And then... Um, that's when I first run into the God noise himself, <laughs> which is crazy. Uh, and that's just by chance. Like, yo, we had a mutual friend who had come to the show that I knew for, well, we went to the same high school, but I had never actually talked to noise or I'd never met him. We probably crossed paths because I knew of his friends and he knew of people that I knew. So we were there at the same time, but we had never built or we've never talked, right? And then we just, he ended up, I ended up meeting his friend and he's like, yo, dope set. And Noi shook my hand, he's like, dope set. And then he, his boy's like, yo, you got your freestyle. And he's like, yeah, my boy here raps too. 
and usually when you hear that it's it's some drunk dude that's fucking yelling at your face and spitting <laughs> on you and it's some bullshit like that but and so i was like okay here we go again right and then i'm like okay let's see so we started spitting i don't know who spit first do you remember i can't remember yeah i don't know who yeah. spit first i i don't know who spit but i think i might have gone first yeah and i remember instantly after hearing him i was like holy fuck like this guy's spitting some crazy shit like way intricate like some hard lyricism shit and i was like yo like obviously like my honestly my first thought in my head was like yo you can't spit no bullshit now you know <laughs> like i was like yo this motherfucker just body shit fucking he just came off the street and i fucking was just on stage if i don't fucking rap some bomb shit i'm an idiot <laughs> whatever i think i i think i still held my own but still like i was just like wow so i was like i think we had a conversation afterwards and i was just like yo where are you recording at like what's your setup like who you who you working with this guy's like yo i just do this shit for fun man like i'm just yeah. i just love hip-hop like i haven't really thought about doing anything yet and that's kind of when I was like so shocked because this guy was already way more polished than I was in the sense of lyricism. And I was just like, yo, this it'd be a shame to not have this guy's voice heard. So I was like, fuck it. My initial thing was like, yo, let me just, let's just do a song together. And through that, kind of everything else was built. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I don't know if you want to start your story from the start or start it from there. <laughs> But song? let's let's go into huh? What was the, song the first song we did was actually a uh, slick Rick and most uh, deaf joint. What was the actual song called? Uh, Auditorium. Auditorium. So I remember hearing that beat and I fucking loved that beat. I don't know who made that beat. That was Madlib. Madlib. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's a fucking banger of a beat. And I remember. And then like we were like, how do we do this? And the way we did it was. We wanted to do like a, like this is during the Iraq war. Like, it, yeah, yeah. So this is probably 2010, yeah. I want to say. So, or to, late 2009, early 2010, around there. So, yeah, all that stuff with the Iraq war, Af Afghanistan war, all that was still going so on. So we flipped it because there was like, I remember there's like some Arabic, like Arabic talking in it and like sampled into the, into the actual beat itself. So we kind of use this thing like yo we came up this was the first time i literally probably ever did like a proper theme on a song <laughs> like that that's kind of what like because i was like yo noise so intricate can't we can't just rap like we have to do something crazy because this guy's so dope right so then we're like okay yo, we gotta think of a dope concept so we did like yo the iraq war we call the song bombs over baghdad but we're like yo let's do the the iraq war in the eyes of a somebody who's a like like a militant in iraq fighting against the oppression and then like somebody just being like a like a like a u.s uh army person right and then so i i went from from the the eyes of like uh iraqi soldier or insurgent as yeah. you would call it and so i did the first verse he did the second verse as a as a soldier from america and then the last verse we, we did a back and forth where we're kind of just having a conversation in those roles but it was like that was the most thinking i've ever put in, <laughs> put into a song at that point in my rap career because yeah. this was really early on still for me like i was still figuring out shit and then noise comes and this is his first time recording on a mic but it came out dope and it it, it did really well online so for us then it just became a thing yo you're from the same neighborhood as us you're here 
you're really good. Like, let's just do this together because we hit it off really well. And Noise was a really shy guy when I first met him. Like, <laughs> on this podcast, you'll actually fucking grow to see how funny this guy is. But at the starting, he was such like a very calculated, calculated when he spoke. Like, yo, I'm only speaking if I'm gonna say some fucking dope ass shit, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah, like, I don't know. Seeing your journey from then to now is, like, fucking crazy. Yeah, so that was really nerve-wracking for me. Like you mentioned, I'm very shy, very introverted. Uh, so for my first recording session, so that was the first one, the one we did together. Yeah. And I think the second one we did was with Humble, Signalage, and Bubboo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. For, for that track, right? Yeah. So... I'm for the very first track. I'm going back and forth with you. I'm like, man, my bar's got to be up there because yeah. we knew you as the punchline guy, right? <laughs> yeah, so, I was the punchline god back then. Yeah, that's all I did. <laughs> I was like, screw a flow, screw everything else. I just got to say some impactful shit. So yeah, so knowing that I was gonna be on a track with you, I felt like okay, the writing has to be elevated, and it was. And I really had to step outside of my comfort zone because everything I had done before that point was just me in my room writing for myself and to myself yeah yeah. you know i i would share in freestyles at parties or whatnot but you know everyone in the crowd was drunk anyway so it didn't matter <laughs> what i said right um uh, let's let's go back a little bit and yeah. we'll come back to this topic but um where were you born and raised uh, i was born uh in toronto spent the first 11 years of my life in malton yeah so they can't they can't just call you a Brampton man. You're a straight <laughs> Toronto man from birth. <laughs> I guess. I, I, cl I claim I claim the whole region, man. GTA. All right, all right. Okay, okay. So Toronto to Malton. Continue. Yeah, Toronto to Malton. Um, yeah, my childhood was spent in Malton. What what years are we talking childhood-wise? We're talking late 80s all the way up to the late 90s. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, so when does the move from Malton to Brampton happen? So that move happens in the summer of 98. Okay. So um, you came to Brampton right when I came to Brampton. Basically, yeah. <laughs> okay. I didn't even realize I that. I didn't yeah. even realize that either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I had started writing before. So I was still in Malton. I pretty much started writing like at the height of, same thing, like at the height of the shiny suit era. Yeah. Like 1997, I remember this very vividly. I was in England for a good five, six weeks with my cousins. And all we listened to that entire summer was No Way Out and Life After Death <laughs> yeah. on cassette, back to back to back to back. So that was pretty much when I really, like I loved hip hop before that point, Yeah. but that summer kind of really made it concrete in my mind. Like, yo, this is, this was massive. And just seeing, being on the other side of the world and watching the same music videos I was watching at home yeah. and just seeing you know, watching Puff Daddy on top of the pops and all that sort of stuff. You know what I mean? Like that just showed how big hip hop could be. Mm -hmm. And I kind of, I kind of really fell in love with it because those were really the first two albums that I could, I really dissected. Because mm -hmm. albums before that, you know, I'd listen to the radio, I'd see stuff on TV, but I never really had an album for myself. So really, you know, looking at the liner notes and reading like, oh, this person thanked that person and really diving into the music, diving into the album. So what age are you when you're starting to like read the inside booklets of CDs and stuff? Uh, this is like 10, 11, 12. So you're already like aware that there's yeah. songwriters, there's beat makers, there's this. You're yeah. diving into the, the depths of hip hop at the age of 10. Yeah. All those albums, like I didn't own them myself. Yeah. They, I had a lot of older cousins, maybe three, four, five years older we're talking about. So 
you know, they would have albums and every time I would go, I would just check out the latest stuff that they had. So I'm looking at the artwork, I'm reading the credits, reading the production notes, all that sort of stuff. So from a very young age, just being exposed to it, that made me want to. And, you know, I, I looked up, I looked up to my cousins like, man, they're cool. I want to become that. Of course. So that, whatever, like you were saying, whatever. That's every, every kid, you that's know, every that's, kid, right? that's how you get influence. For me, it was my, my brothers because my family wasn't close, but that's your, nobody, no kid, no 10 year old kid is just randomly picking up a CD. Like, yeah. yeah. Think, yeah. So the very first maybe handful of albums that I purchased on my own and had on my own was um, Puff Daddy Forever, which was kind of whack. Uh, the Roots, Things Fall Apart, and uh, Big Pun, Capital Punishment. So like Life After all, Death. All this <laughs> shit makes sense why noise raps yeah. the way you do So like Life After Death, No Way Out. My cousins had those. Yeah. Anytime I would go visit them, we would just we would just blast that out the car, out the stereo. But the first albums that I had for myself were uh, Pun and The Roots and, um, and Puff. Okay. Um... When do you get when do you get the idea that maybe you can write poetry? Uh, so I was writing I wrote my very first rhymes probably in grade five or six. So kind of in that when I was really diving into the music and really studying it, that's when I was first writing as well. Yeah. Yeah. But I felt like growing up, I felt like I had that connection to hip hop more so than any other art form just because of they spoke the way we spoke on the playgrounds. You know, the slang that they were using, um, and it, a lot of that was the same language that we were speaking. So we we had that automatic connection to it on that sense. It's like, okay, this person, you look at a Method Man, and I felt like Method Man in the 90s was like the flyest dude out there, right? Oh, yeah. So he had the cool clothes, and it's like, man, I want those are the clothes I want to rock. He had the, the slang, it's like, we speak with the same slang. So you had that connection to it, and you wanted to try to emulate that. So that's when I kind of... That's how, I, that's how I felt like I had that connection to rap from the beginning and learning more about it. And it's like, okay, why is all this writing in an album? What does this mean? What is this, like, what is this for? So just really reading it and saying, okay, S. Combs wrote this, C. Wallace wrote this. And that really, you know, I just started studying it a lot more from an in-depth level. You know what I just thought about? And it might be one of the worst trends ever. Remember crisscross when backwards pants was the fucking yeah. shit? Yeah, that was Everybody really, was doing that. That's the worst. No, like, we but did, like, that's I did. like, like <laughs> I feel like it's like, like a, one generation in front of us. Like, it's like more like my, I remember my brothers and them doing it. Like, and I'm like, what the fuck? Like, what do you remember about high school and hip hop? So I was influenced by obviously the you know Jay Z was big, 50 Cent, the whole aftermath, shady aftermath, G Unit uh, connection there with like Eminem was killing it with Eight Mile was around that time as well. Um, Timbaland, you, Neptunes. Are you noticing the commercial change in hip hop because you're growing up on such lyricism and now it's kind of going into the opposite direction? Um, to, to some extent, I mean, like I said, I grew up on the bad boy era, yeah. so that, that shiny part was always a part of the hip-hop that I love. Yeah. Um, but I, I did kind of notice, I think I became more, uh, my ear became more refined. Mm. So when I was younger, when I was just, you know, 95, 96, 97, anything that was rap, I was like, I, I'm, I'm rocking with this. I love this. Yeah. But now we're talking about like 02, 03, so I, you know, I had more of a taste now as far as what I like and what resonates with me. 
Um, so yeah, there certainly were artists that I didn't connect with, and it wasn't necessarily just because they were shiny or not. Mm -hmm. And I think um, just going back to Humble, he had a really great point when he was talking about hip hop, where he's like, um, it's not about what you say, it's how you say it. So I rocked with a lot of artists that were talking about flashy stuff or talking about street stuff that I didn't live. But as long as they did it in a lyrical way or a creative way, I was rocking with it. Mm -hmm. Like Clips. Clips yeah. came out around that time too, right? And they were straight on the street thing. And obviously I didn't live that life, but I related or I vibed with it just because the lyricism and the beats were at such a high level. Um, so yeah, there certainly were artists that I felt like aside from uh, content or subject matter, as long as like the creativity wasn't at a level, I wasn't rocking with them for that reason. What are, are, are you writing a lot at this point? I was, yeah. So, you know, I started when I was, you know, grade five, grade six. Yeah. First started writing, but when I actually really started to find my voice as an MC was during that, during that high school age. So I was writing every day at that point. Uh, do you, um, your earliest writing, do you, are, is there any structure to it or is it just write till you can't think of anything else? Yeah, it basically was like, I was, I didn't know how to write. I didn't know how to write to, to a beat. Yeah. I didn't learn that until much later. So I so was. So are you are you just writing for the sake of writing and not having a beat, or are you yeah. doing it to like maybe like a song that's on the radio or something like or like a CD that you have? Uh, I was just writing for writing. I'd have ideas, like I'd watch a show or watch a movie, and I'd be like, "Oh, that's kind of cool. Let me let me see how I can adapt that or kind of flip that story and put it in a rhyme." So, you know, obviously all the verses would rhyme, but they didn't necessarily have beats or they didn't have choruses or anything like that. So they were very unstructured. It was just kind of like long poems, essentially. Back then, did you realize that it was a method of self-therapy or did that become, become like, once you started making songs, did you realize that? Or, or did you know that from back then that this makes me feel better about things? Um, I think at first I was just I was just doing it to do it. Yeah. I was just, I really loved the music, really loved the culture. Just wanted to emulate the people you were seeing. Yeah, yeah. And I think it was just a skill to develop. You know, I was falling in love. Like with the, um, with the mixtape era in the early 2000s, you also had like the And One mixtapes. And I remember that's when I first heard Cool G Rap. So that kind of blew my mind too, because it was like, okay, listen to his pattern, listen to his cadence. Crazy. And that kind of, that, that kind of blew my mind, because I'm like, wow, he is... He's taking what I already love, but he's doing it on a much more intricate and complex level. And I think that kind of took me down a different path as far as which artists I started to follow more, which ones I started to listen to more. And that certainly shaped my own writing style. So at first I was just kind of writing uh, as an exercise in creativity. Then it became more so, okay, this really is a craft and wanting to understand the craft and wanting to master the craft more. But I think really getting it to the point where I was getting a lot of um, you know emotions out through the lyrics and into the music I think that came much later for me mm -hmm. um, that probably wasn't until after high school like years after high school when I was you know really getting deeper as far as uh, concepts and emotions that I was putting into the music yeah so at first it was just a flex then it became something to really study and hone but then afterwards it became okay, this really has value and it really has meaning as far as, as an MC, what your power is mm -hmm. and how you can empower other people and how you can empower yourself. Let's go now, fast forward, we end up meeting. Yeah. What were your thoughts on that first night 
just seeing uh, a bunch of Punjabi kids performing on a stage where you necessarily weren't part of that show. But how did you feel just being in the crowd that day and just knowing that you you are doing this secretly as well? Yeah. Like, how, <laughs> I, like I, we've never actually talked about this. So it's yeah. kind of, I kind of just want to pick your brain o- about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd been to I'd been to shows before that. Yeah. Like I'd seen Chaos perform and other Toronto artists. But that was my first time really going to like an indie, local, really kind of street level, grassroots kind of show. Um, and the fact that everybody on the bill was Punjabi, from Bird to Fateh to you to Humble, everyone that was part of the show was Punjabi. So for me watching that, that was really eye-opening because it's like, you know, I've, I've been writing for so long, but I never really shared it with people. And to see hip-hop really live like that and to see people from my, the same background as me that were the ones executing it and the ones living it, that really, it was a huge motivator and a huge kind of, it let me know that you know, I could do this too. Uh, which I think it was for everybody that was there in attendance yeah. that night because nobody knew what it would become, you yeah. know, because look at how many artists was just created off that one show. Yeah. Like, you know, who knows what path we could have gone down if that show didn't happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it might have happened maybe a few few weeks later, years later, but... Who knows, right? Like that, I feel like that was destined to happen for a lot of relationships that were created that day. Yeah. And it was, it was dope because that was, I felt like it was the building blocks of a lot of things that came afterwards. Yeah. So a lot of artists that are popping now kind of came up through the networks and through the connections that were made from that night. And, you know, you and I started working together more and, you know, we were introduced to Sick Knowledge. We were introduced to Babu. Through that, you know, we met Villa. We met... Malton on all these names that are, you know, part of our network and that are really popping off and doing a lot of great things right now. It kind of goes back to the early days of it, 08, 09, when it really started. So it, it was a beautiful thing. I felt like that that night in particular or a lot of things that led up to that night yeah. really set in motion a lot of the great things that are going on today as far as um, South Asian artists that are really making a name for themselves, not just in music, but in any form of creativity um let's fast forward to uh bombs over baghdad our first song that we ever did together yeah how did it feel to now take it from writing in your room and reciting it to yourself to now having the pressure did we we wrote that there did we or i think we wrote separate we wrote separate and then we might have written the third one there i think so yeah yeah, so how did that feel um, going from just doing this for fun and then, but not never hearing yourself? Like, how, how did that feel the first time you've ever heard yourself on a microphone? Yeah, uh, to be honest, it was, it was frustrating. Yeah. Uh, because <coughs> it was frustrating because um, you don't sound like how you want to sound. Yo, that's the biggest thing. That's the <laughs> biggest thing, man. Like, you're... I think it's it's anybody, regardless if you're an MC or not, it's always trippy to hear your voice back and it's like, really, I sound like that? Yeah, it's weird. Uh, but it's a lot different when you're listening to yourself rap because not only are you just looking at tone, but you're also looking at uh, your energy and your delivery and all that sort of things where it's like, okay, yeah, I, oh, I did it like that? And so you're starting to monitor yourself as far as, no, I don't want to deliver it like that. I want to deliver it in this other way, but... Your skill set isn't where you want your 
uh, execution to be yet. Yeah. So you know, obviously writing is a skill in itself, but vocal delivery on the mic is an entirely different skill. So much harder. Yeah. So for me, um, I felt very comfortable with my pen, but my voice wasn't there yet. So I was, I was unhappy with a lot of my first recordings just because I wasn't sounding the way I wanted to sound yet. And that's the thing. In the early days of when you're when you're a musician and you are the lead vocal, you yeah you're not if you're not used to hearing your voice, you you don't know what you want your sound to be like. There is such thing as your hip hop voice. Yeah. Right. Like everybody has, everyone has a certain way that they want to sound on a record, and yeah. that might vary from song to song. Right. Yeah. But. To just show up on a mic one day and have that already figured out is never gonna happen. Yeah. Unless you have a really certain distinct voice, which can can it can it can help certain artists, yeah. right? But the main thing is you're gonna have to record over and over again, and you're gonna have to try different stuff and be comfortable enough to try different stuff in front of people as well. Yeah. And that definitely took time. I don't think me or you sound anything like what we did at. On, on our first song together. No, not at all. I feel like, I think we've, yeah, we've definitely <clears throat> gained more of a confidence in our sounds and in our voices. And yeah, we've really grown a lot in that regard, I feel. From, you know, like I said, writing is different, recording is different, and then performing is an entirely different beast in itself. Um, so I feel like over the years, we've kind of been able to not only watch each other grow, but also kind of encourage each other's growth at the same time where if we feel like one person is doing something really well you know we'd encourage that or if some if one of us is struggling with something we'd you know we'd be there trying to coach each other through it i think it's always been like a healthy competitive nature just like being like we're so totally different but we love so much of the same music yeah. and we have so many so much of the same interests and hobbies as well but like i feel like Moving cool, uh, us as a unit, got so much better just realizing what our role is when we are on a song together. Yeah. And that's meaning coming out of what our comfortable level is on our solo records. When I know that I'm coming on a moving cool track, I know, yo, noise is bringing lyricism. So, yeah, I have to bring a certain level of lyricism, but I also have to bring a certain level of energy. And that's the same thing. Your energy goes up when you're on a song with me or whether yeah. you're like on whatever. But that these are all things that take years and years of practice of doing. And yeah. I feel like both of our careers were spent in basements perfecting our craft before we ever really released it out there properly. Yeah. And that's what I feel like a lot of people don't understand is there's no harm in not releasing content. Mm -hmm. Figure out the artist you want to be and then polish yourself to the point where you are happy and you are getting praise from not only yourself, you're getting it from other people as well. Get get advice from as many people as possible and then build yourself. Me and you have been working for 10 plus years together and seeing the level that we are at now doesn't happen without the work behind it, the immigrant hustle that comes behind our music. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's let's fast forward. How do we start running into our homeboy over here, Dusty Loops? Um, so I first met Dusty Loops. This was in I want to say 2010. 
Um, this is in Hamilton, actually. Yeah, is that McMaster? So we did a show. So I think it was you, me, Humble, Sick Knowledge, and Babu. Okay. We did a performance out there in Hamilton, and then afterwards, uh, Humble's like, "Yo, we're gonna go to this one spot to eat." And then Dusty, you were there. Your brother was there, and um, I think Nav and I think Spooks was there too. Um, I think I'm I, I remember connecting with you through actually Harpery. I feel like Harpery reached out to me first and that's kind of how I online I got because I don't fucking remember that Hamilton show at all. Where were you born and raised? I was born in Kuwait. Kuwait. Kuwait City. Punjabi in Kuwait. Yeah. How did your family get uh, to how Kuwait? How is that? Well. There's actually a lot of like um, like Indians in general in yeah. a lot of these like Middle Eastern countries. So they're just there for work, right? It pays a lot, right? Yeah. Even if you're doing like, you can be an engineer or like work in sanitation and stuff, there's a lot of money. That's why you'll see people have their families in India. Like my uncles, my mama's like that too. Yeah. He works in Kuwait. They'll make the money to send it back or go there or they'll just bring the family over. The so only thing that's a disadvantage there is uh if you're at least in kuwait at the time was uh, if you're not arabic you can't buy property oh so wow all wow. the immigrants there which was mostly like um like indians south indians um filipinos we were all just staying like in the city where the, where all the apartments are so <clears throat> and to like our school was like an hour hour and a half away so my dad would drive me like every day on his way to work so did your father end up there for work reasons yeah yeah so my my granddad was actually working there in uh radio communications and stuff and then my dad actually went to school in uh he did some in india then he did some in england and then from england i think he saw the opportunities to work outside so he did some stuff like i think uh in berlin and then somehow he ended up like finding something with some other people out in Kuwait. So they had like their little, I guess whatever people like you meet in college and stuff, yeah. you kind of collectively decide like, okay, you three guys are going to go in here. So, okay, so we'll go here, you know? So what, what line of work was he in? He's a, a engineer, electrical engineer, okay. design and draft. So yeah, that was that. And it's funny. You say you came here when you were 10, I was 10 too. I came mm. in 95. That's crazy. Right. So when I came is, uh, Look at all these fucking similarities yeah. we have that we didn't even fucking know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. when I came is literally like uh, maybe the month off or the month after Tupac got killed. Jeez. Mm, right. So at that time, I didn't know any of that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. And also, like, I guess, like, I've always heard of rap. I just didn't know it was rap, but it was also more the commercial rap. You know, like you would hear like a random. 16 or 8 like in a Paul Abdul record or a yeah, Michael Jackson yeah, yeah. you don't know what it is you just think oh it sounds dope you know yeah it was mean? just rhythm talking at that point yeah so yeah like I came the, at 10 too and the it was rap just, on black or white yeah <laughs> it could be that it yeah. could uh, be what's that. his name his name is Cap I don't know the or, guy's name yeah, yeah. yeah Biggie Biggie Mo <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that was that and uh, yeah it was the same thing language barrier but it wasn't that uh, where are you when you come to canada where are you getting situated right away uh etobicoke etobicoke west um uh, yo shout out the vlog dog yeah. <laughs> like rex <laughs> yeah. uh, well 
we moved to Rexdale later. Mm. So I, we basically, we came here. My mom's like older sister was there. So we were pretty much like family of all together, like 10 living in one apartment. Yeah. And it's an apartment of two bedrooms, right? Yeah. So we did that for like a year or so. And then it's like, okay, we have to expand. So my aunt ended up buying a house in John Garland. So that's like right by West Humber, all that stuff, situation, yeah. right? You know how that area is. So from there, then we decide, okay, we gotta, we've been with them for like a year or so. Let's uh, um, get our own spot. So it's yeah, funny. Just like every immigrant family, nobody comes here and has a house right yeah. away. Yeah, you know? no, I was living in a house with eight, nine, 10, 11 people Trust until me, I was the first t- 12, 13 years when old. When I came here from Norway, we were living at Center Street in Vaden in Brampton. Yeah. And it was me, my dad, my two brothers, my nanny, nana, which is my grandparents. Yeah. My my aunts, my uncles, yeah. their babies, like all <laughs> in like a regular Brampton house. Like I'm not yeah. talking no Castlemore shit. Yeah. This is like Center Brampton. But that's what you had to do for a year or two until you get on to figure out what you're going to do. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we were we were with them and then we ended up. Uh, we were like, OK, you know, let's just get our own spot now. We've been with them for a minute. So we ended up moving back to the same building where we, that we were in. So it's funny because when I came in, I was supposed to be in grade six. But they're like, no, because of uh, just the way the term is and his age, he has to be in grade five. So I got pushed into grade five. And, you know, in grade five, like all these kids were like, once they graduate uh, Parkfield, they go to Dixon, uh, Dixon Grove. So I kind of met all these kids at the tail end. And I just remember like it was, you know, they were just like because of the language barrier, too. They would just like make jokes and stuff. Yeah. I remember these kids would like I remember this kid named Julian. He would come up and be like, yo, do you uh, do you look at a day? <laughs> and I'm like, what? And he's like, no, seriously, it's a yes or no. Do you look at it? I remember that. Yeah. Like, I remember that hustle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so yo, you you keep saying that, right? But here's the thing: when I was actually when I went to school in, in Kuwait, right? It was it was kind of tough, like even as a kid, because like you, the school we went to was like Indian school. Yeah. It was called an Indian school, but they're still like Arabic. It's like a kids. boarding school, right? Kind of like that, right? So they had to teach us like I learned Arabic. Uh, English, uh, Punjabi, and Hindi, right? Jeez. And then my mom made sure she told the teachers, like, yo, make sure you only talk to this kid in English, right? So he he, he learns it, he picks it up. I don't know why she did that, right? Yeah. So it was kind of tough because, like, once the teachers are where all the kids are talking, like, in Hindi, right? So, like, even all the Punjabi kids, just, just, just the native language, it was just quicker, right? But everyone still kind of talked to me in English, so I was kind of pushed into it. So when I came here, I pretty much have to pick up the speed. It yeah. wasn't like I didn't understand it. It was just like they're speaking kind of fast. You know what I mean? So I had to adjust to that. So I was in the tail end of grade five. So I met all these people and then I didn't really have any friends. And then I went to grade six and that's when we moved to the house in Rexdale, right? So I go to Elm Bank, end up making all these friends and stuff. And then we decide, okay, we got to get our own place. So now we move back. So now I'm grade seven. So when I went back to school now in grade seven, one, I can speak, right? Mm-hmm. I can speak proper. I know what's going on. And two, for some reason, like, I was instantly popular because people are like, yo, that's the kid from grade five. He's back. You know what I mean? Because they're like, yo, where'd you go? Where'd you go? So it wasn't more so like, yo, we're going to pick on this kid. It was like, 
yo, what happened to you for a year? So it was easier for me to like kind of maneuver in yeah, yeah. and start talking. So yeah, man, that was, I was there for like a minute, but it was, it's, um, it's different compared to like when I hear stories with you guys and stuff, because I've never really seen like an Indian teacher. I've yeah. never seen, um, I never even grew uh, grew up with like more than 10 Indian or like Punjabi kids or anything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It was just that multicultural. It was like Somalians there, Jamaicans, Arabic people and stuff. So when I hear these kind of stories, at first it was different. It took me a long time to like adjust to that. You know what I mean? Because I'm just used to diversity. I was never used to like just one. Well, it sounds like you're in a setting that is a bunch of minorities. So you're all yeah. kind of looking out for each other because there's no really majority out of any of yeah. you. Right? And yeah. And I think even even growing up in Malton, like I don't know what the demographic there is now, but it was, yeah, we had a lot of Punjabis, but we had a lot of um, Caribbean people there. We had a lot of East Asian people there. And I didn't see, I didn't see Punjabi teachers unless I went to Punjabi school. Yeah. So the the people that were teaching the classes did not match the makeup of the people that were in the classes. Yeah, even for me, like, like we, I had Punjabi school in Norway, but it was my mom. Yeah, like my mom would come <laughs> to the school and teach the Punjabi kids. Like that's how little it yeah. was, right? And she was the same thing for my brothers when they went to like you know. But yeah, like we had family friends, and that's where I saw. It. But like my average, like my middle school in Norway was me, my middle brother, another, I think like a Pakistani kid and like a Chinese kid. And the rest are blonde hair, blue eyes. Yeah, I've seen your class pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. pure, pure white kids. Yeah. So it's like, for me, it was, I grew up in that, but it was weird because Norway is such, it's a good country and I didn't feel any racism there. I knew I was different, but I didn't feel it. Like nobody bullied me because I'm fucking brown there. I, you know, I never felt that either. Like, uh, as much as like I hear about uh, other people, like things happening and, you know, I never feel like I got targeted for like having a turban. Yeah. I just got targeted because you just weren't in that crowd. Yeah. Right. And I feel like even the way we grew up, like, because whoever these people are that even you don't get along with or whatever. At some point, you're going to get along with them because you're with these people for like almost six years. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it was never like, yo, we don't fuck with this guy ever. It was just like, eventually we're going to have a class. We're going to talk and we're cool. Even if we had issues and stuff, it was never at the end of the day, if we saw each other somewhere, it was still like, yo, you nod and you leave. So I never felt it was like that. And if anything, I also feel like when we kind of grew up in just in that area with all the people, we were just snapping a lot harder and quicker. So you just couldn't fuck with us. You say something about us, we're just going to make fun of you and your country. You know what I mean? So, And it was just like jokes and stuff. It wasn't nothing serious. So I never felt or even saw any kind of like, you know how stuff is so boxed off now. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, there's always been race issues. But I feel like when you're in that kind of environment, when you're that in that this vacuum with all these different minorities, I feel like just financially we're in the same state. So we all got similar fucked up problems. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's more so like we got to get out of here and stuff. But it's not like I'm, I don't I didn't feel something from somebody else or I, I didn't feel targeted. You know I, what remember, I, mean? I remember like when I came here. Yeah, the diversity was a lot greater than it was in Norway. But like like in middle school is still fine because everybody's young. Everybody's still doing their thing. I feel like in high school is when I started realizing that like 
Indian kids are just sticking around Indian kids. You know, and then yeah. the black kids will be at a table playing dominoes. And that's kind of when I started seeing, yo, this is becoming like a click thing, you know? But like, it, it, like I'm not saying that it was like ever like racially, like any racial tension because of it. It was just a natural progression that I'm seeing, yo, the black kids are hanging out with the black kids. The, the, the Punjabi kids are hanging out with the other Punjabi kids. And I didn't get why that was because I was just like, my early years were just spent hanging with people that I liked and I didn't ever think they're from the same background as me or they see the same problems as me. I just thought, yo, this guy's cool. He likes to play soccer. All right, let's go play soccer. You know, but then in high school, I'm starting to see these things, right? I'm starting to see, yo, kids are calling me whitewashed because I'm fucking yeah. chilling with the skater kids one fucking lunch. But you, you know, know what like, it is? I feel like when you're talented as a kid, you just get elected as that person, yeah. right? It supersedes like your race. So like, if you're like, for me in grade seven and six, everybody knew me as the artist. Yeah. So they're just like, yo, don't fuck with this kid. If I need something done, like, yo, can you draw this? And for me, I just wanted to draw every day. I actually thought I was gonna like be an artist for Marvel and shit, work with Jim Lee and do be like the next God level dude that's uh, drawing Wolverine, right? Yeah. So. They just looked at me as the artist. They didn't look at me anything else. It's possible somebody else got targeted. I never felt anything. Yeah. But but it I feel like it also had to do something with how you ended up integrating into the system, right? Mm -hmm. Into because there are some people that come from like if they come from India, they come from Jamaica. They just stick to just what they know, what, what they, they know, know and yeah. who they know and stuff. And even like kids that can't speak like English fully if they're going to esl classes they'll just kind of stick together yo man i was in esl for fucking one year and i loved it because it was so easy they yeah. make you do the stupidest shit <laughs> and i already really pretty much knew english by this point but i was like all right fuck it let me just pretend like i don't <laughs> i've then, never been in esl yo man i got half my homies who were yeah. born in fucking canada went to esl i swear at one point they just put every punjabi kid which i don't i don't blame them because a lot of us were raised by our grandparents and yeah. we mainly just spoke punjabi up until we went to school Right. I mean, but, I was I was put in ESL, but I mean, I spoke fluently in both, so I wasn't sure why I was in there. You know, it just could be like yeah. maybe, the Babylon thing. <laughs> I think maybe writing wise, maybe they they saw like it wasn't strong or something. Because at least with me, I just never qualified for ESL because they're like, okay, regardless of how you speak and whatever at the time, written wise, he's really good, so it's not a it's not a thing. But um, yeah, yo, shout out to all the ESL kids, man. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of dimes yo, in those. <laughs> yo, shout out all the kids that made it out the ESL. All right. Okay, so when do you move to Brampton? Uh, I think I moved to Brampton like 2003, 2004. So are you in high school? Is this I after high school? I finished high school. Okay. I finished high school, I think. So you did high school in Etobicoke? Yeah. Okay. So... I think I might have moved in 2002, but I just, I remember just hearing like a lot of stuff about like the Indian cliques and stuff, yeah, here, yeah. the brown cliques and stuff and how it is in school. And I'm like, I don't want to go to the schools anywhere. And plus like everyone I knew was back there. Right. So I'm like, yo, I'll take the bus every day. So it was almost like a two and a half, three hour bus ride. Wow. Like. But total, like going there and coming back, I'm spending maybe four hours or so or yeah. five if I miss a bus That's or something. Crazy. So I didn't care. So like whatever was happening in Brampton, I feel like I was out of the mix 
and I chose to be out of the mix till like maybe 2010. Yeah. Because a lot of my life was still in rec still. That's why I like, I never, I never like connected with, I also like, I guess when I was coming up, it took me like a long time to really understand like visual representation. Because mm -hmm. I didn't understand like when you know, people are like, oh, I don't see someone of my kind in this field. Because to me, at least the way I was raised by people older than me, I'm also like, the oldest in my family. So my older so-called brothers are people that are meeting in rec centers. Yeah. And these are the people, they're like four years, five years older than me. So they're teaching me stuff. So they're teaching me, if you're at the finish line, you get respected. That's it. It doesn't matter if you're black. It doesn't matter if you're this, whatever. But then, like, when you step out and then people start talking about that, like, oh, you know, what? we don't have someone that looks like me in there, no one to look up to. And I was just like, who cares? Because to me, like, I don't know. It was just like my manager, too, like, at the time when I was doing all the graffiti stuff, he was super militant about things. Mm -hmm. And he was like, yo, if, okay, you see this artist, you see the way he did this stuff, your shit has to look exactly like it, line for line, stroke for stroke, right? So to me, it was just about the art. And, and if, if I didn't get picked, that means I got to work 10 times harder. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah, someone like some, you know, the funny thing is every time I was also reminded about how I looked yeah. and how I should act and this and that, it was always through, it was always through like Punjabi people. And that, that, that's what I noticed coming here too. I was, yeah. like, I was getting more hate from my fucking own kind yeah. and yeah. more bullying from them than I was from any fucking white kid growing yeah. up in Brampton. And that fucked me up more because I remember like being, I always used to take the same bus um, in Brampton, same bus driver, same every time, real nice guy. The day he, uh, one day he was just like, he started asking me what I want to do and stuff. I'm telling him I'm going to school for this, whatever. And then he's like, yo, you know, I'll be honest with you. You're like super bright and like you'll get far in this thing. Honestly, you just got to cut your hair. That's the only way you're going to do it. And wow. I just didn't say shit Jeez. the entire ride. And I'm just listening to him. Was he that, a Punjabi guy? Yeah. Jeez. He was a guy that's like settled out here. He kind of honestly, like, even though he said that at the time, like, I wasn't like fully upset. I, it probably hit me later. But yeah. like at the time, I just felt like bad for him. Cause I feel like he just sounded jaded about something. You know, something that might have happened to it, him. Exactly, might have happened to him. Cause I mean, depending on his age, when my dad and my uncles first came to Canada, they came in 70s, 80s, and my dad has that same story. My uncles have that same story where they couldn't get jobs. People would in job interviews would straight up say, "Hey, I'd hire you, but cut your hair first. Right. You know what I mean? So yeah, that was an issue. Yeah. Once yeah. Time. Yeah. You know, my uncles. Had a similar thing when they moved to New York, mm. and they were living out in like um, uh, Staten Island. Mm. So it was just for them to kind of maneuver. At that time, there was like gangs too, right? Mm -hmm. So like you, they would chase you down just for a certain leather jacket. You know what I mean? Like you can't be wearing that over mm -hmm. here and stuff. So I got it, but at the same time, like I don't know. I just kind of like I felt some way about like everyone that I grew up with that ended up also cutting their hair and they would always tell me some lame thing because I don't know if I was kind of like shielded by my tar like my talents and stuff I got everything that they said they wanted to get to just the way I was and and I think for the longest time I was the only person that looked like this in every environment you know what I mean so sometimes like to a certain degree yeah it works to your advantage because they'd be like yo that guy you know what I mean like yeah. I can't hide who I am like it is what it is 
But then it turns into like, you know, who like, who do you really uh, hang around? Because your own people, the first thing you're questioning, like, why are you hanging around them? Right. And in those environments, like I didn't feel that. But then if you go to another environment where it's only one type of people, say just black people, and they're not they're, they don't come from like a super mixed round, they'd be like, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. So it was weird. I never faced any of this stuff in Rexville, man. It wasn't like until I went to Mac. Yeah. I used to get like people would like talk down to me about the way I would speak. I, I feel like I was like a different person. Mm-hmm. When I'm Rexdale, I talk a certain way. When I'm at school, I talk a certain way. And then I'm with, around like like professional environment that I have to speak a different way. And I just that's why at Mac, honestly, I never connected with anyone. Mm-hmm. That might be the only place I never really made friends. The only friends would probably just spooks on them through someone. Okay, so because we, we got to wrap this up soon. Um, but um, let's. When does it go from art to music? Or is this something that was happening simultaneously this whole time? It was happening simultaneously. Like the music thing I always found interesting. So when I was out in Rexdale, I was working out of the Elmbank Community Center. Yeah. So pretty much everything that I know about art and music, it came from Wong, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Shout out. Yeah, shout out Magic Finger Wong. So it was pretty much like I was under his wing and he was just showing me stuff. And he was actually running the art programs and the music programs at the center. So we would get a, he would get a budget every year and you just set up uh, sessions where you're teaching kids like how to record, how to use the... Uh, recording equipment how to make music so i would learn that stuff around him and and also at that at that point like a lot of these programs even some of them now they're in place in these certain pockets because they want kids to do something else outside of school rather than not being in the streets so what's funny is like when yeah i forget the time exactly but i remember listening to certain songs and hearing shit happen that exact that was exactly in the song and like these, all these like light bulbs are going off. Like, yo, this shit is real. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I found a lot of that like in Rexdale and stuff. So that that's why maybe I connect a lot more to certain albums and certain things just because the way they kind of came up. Well, you were you were growing up in a some sort kind of concrete jungle, and you are growing up in areas that you can visualize. Yeah. Well, you're you can visualize rap lyrics in the neighborhood you're living in right 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 so that with the, the music stuff was happening and i just kind of always had a, like a second thing for me like the main thing was art yeah because i've always you know been like uh illustrating and stuff like since age of three four so that i always had that with me everywhere i went i even like got into like art schools like ocad and all that stuff now this is probably the only time where I don't want to say like um, I didn't have a visual representation, but I didn't know personally anyone who had made it into that field and and was successful, right? And it's funny because like the older I get, I find out so many suppressed artists within my family tree. Mm-hmm. I find out people are, can actually draw, they can play this instrument, whatever. And you start talking to them, it turns out like yeah, you know, 
I really couldn't pursue it. I had to make money and, and my parents were telling me to get married. So it shifted away. That's the thing. We are fortunate enough to be in the generation when shit got figured out. Right. And yeah. instead of being in the generation where you're trying to create something for your family. Yeah. Which is crazy because it's like I, even just going back to what you're saying, it's like, yeah, I, I started hearing about all these artistic things my parents did afterwards. Yeah. But that they couldn't afford to do because they had to feed feed themselves and feed their family right yeah sending money back home so it's like there there might be generations of really creative punjabi people but there was this when this whole mass immigration of punjabis all over the world happened i feel like it's in our culture mm -hmm. to express ourselves and be creative and music and everything rhythm is in our culture but the generations that our parents lived in where they had to leave India and create lives for themselves, that shit took a back seat. Yeah. But it was always in our culture. Yeah. And now it's going to come back with the seeds of these immigrants. So we essentially we, we lost a generation of creatives, of artists, of yeah. thinkers. Because of they, you know, out here in the West, they were only valued for their bodies. Essentially, what labor? Yeah. What labor you know, can you yeah. do? How hard can you work? How many hours can you do? Um, so I think just among the three of us we kind of we benefit from the hard work and the sweat that they put in because now we're in a position where we can pursue art to a level that they couldn't um and i think yeah i think to to some degree i feel you know we we owe it to them to to do it and to do it at a very high level of course and we ha it's like to, to a certain degree we have to make it just to show them that this all of this shit wasn't just in vain yeah right and I don't know. I think it, it once it happens, it'll really validate something. And I think it'll spark the next thing, which will make things a lot more easier for everybody else. Because even to a certain degree, like we don't really have that person yet mm -hmm. in the field. There's a couple of them sprinkled here and there, but I just feel like they're just, they're still, uh, you know, paving the path for the next person. That'll be the it dude. Well, look at the fucking progress we've made in 10 years. Right? Noise. Let's go back to that fucking show that Humble did, right? Yeah. Look at everything, the trickle effect of that show and what happened. There is a lot of talented Punjabi kids that came out of that. Yeah. And even more of them are being bred every day to, to go this route rather than that. Now we have painters. We got... Uh, musicians, rappers, singers, beat makers. We got fucking, we got chefs, we got everything. Yeah. But that's the thing is now it's, now it's our time to showcase these talents we have. Don't hide them. Work hard at them. Put them out there. Share your stories. Grow with each other. Don't, don't hesitate to help each other. Our paths came together because we were a bunch of young kids that had similar stories, but the one thing that tied us together was our love of hip-hop. And through that love of hip-hop, we grew so much together to the point where fucking our friendship got greater. Because when we started this, we were just colleagues. Let's be realistic. We just loved the music and we wanted to, wanted to do whatever so that we can be a part of it. And then now it's come like in this full circle where it's like, we owe it to ourselves and the next generation to do the most we can with what we've been given and then to create lanes for, for the next generation so that it's easier for them to, to get noticed. 
And I think our parents, our parents' generation did it in a different way. So when they came here, there was no infrastructure. Um, so my, my master was the first one from my family to come here. And he was part of the people that really developed Pape Gurdwara, which was the first one out here in Toronto. Yeah. So they created community spaces and, you know, created that sense of culture and a place where people could come together. And so we're kind of, you know, the next level of that infrastructure now. Okay, it's in place for us. Now, how can we create it and expand it? Um, and I think the cool thing about it is that, you know, going back to that, that show that you did, um, the artists that we met from there, it's been really cool in the sense that every artist that we've connected with, no one is ever in a position where they wanted to tear someone down. It's always been very positive. It's like, okay, this person is a photographer, this person's a videographer, MC, whatever your talent is. Everyone was always uh, su su very supportive of each other. And so, you know, that friendship that we were able to build um, from back then, other artists that we've kind of come into who we just admired as artists, we've been able to develop friendships out of th those as well. And, and that's the thing too, when we're talking about this, we're not just talking about, I only want to inspire young Punjabi kids. I'm trying no. to inspire any kid that came from any nationality in Brampton to, to follow arts right. and follow what they love and follow the talent that they have and do it to the utmost and lift people with you because end of the days, we saw how much greater we got when we had a team behind ourselves, right? Yeah. Working by yourself, yeah, it's good. Yeah, work on your talent by yourself, but work as a team to get the message out there that what you're trying to do, right? And one thing in just wrapping up this show now is this is the first time we've done this. We've, we haven't even tried doing like a dummy take. Yeah. This is the first time we did this as a podcast and we do hope that the listeners do enjoy it. But these are the type of natural conversations we want to have. We want to get to know people. We want to get to know their stories. We want to get to know all the grind that goes behind these things that they put out, right? We're going to be talking to musicians. We're going to be talking to chefs. We're going to be talking to painters. We're going to be talking to just cool people that we have in our lives. And we just want to have cool conversations and we want to educate people, whether you are from the Punjabi diaspora or whether you, you have never even heard of us. We just want to have intriguing conversations with good, talented people in whatever field they're in. And we just want to learn. We, we, just, want to, we just want to learn together and we want to put it out there for the world so that they can... Uh, they can learn about these good people just like we have. And if we can set up something where we can showcase talented people, then I'm all for it. And I'm really happy to be doing it with two talented dudes like you guys. Any, uh, any final thoughts? Um, I guess kind of going back to just kind of to wrap up what you were saying there, to, to summarize it, I heard a great quote uh, from a poet named, uh, Brampton poet named Alisto Hamilton. Uh, the quote was, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. That's, that's a, you might have to drop a quote after every uh, episode now. <laughs> that's out. <laughs> no, I like that. I like that. Dust, you got anything to say? I'm good, man. I, uh, I, I feel like, do you guys feel like we learned a lot more about Yo, each other? Man, I feel we like, did. Motherfucker, we've been chilling 10 years, and I probably yeah. learned more in this podcast than I ever have chilling with you yeah. guys. Yeah. Like that's like that apart from just finally doing a podcast, the greatest thing that I've taken away from this episode is that I fucking learned a lot about you dudes and yo, that more power to us, you know, but going forward. Yeah, this is going to be, we're going to try to bring in as many special guests as possible. We have a lot of friends in the music industry and all sorts of industries. So if there's people that you would like to see, definitely hit us up. We're 
I'm going to work on an email. Still don't have that. We're going to have an email set up. Anything you want us to talk about, any topics you feel like we need to touch, any people that you feel like we need to talk to, we are going to keep this a very open dialogue, open debate. We'll continue this onto the social medias as well. You can hit us up for whatever you want. Um, shout out the Instagrams. Yeah, just uh, Dusty Loops. On everything? On everything. Uh, at Noise Hip Hop, at N-O-Y-Z Hip Hop, on everything. And I'm Brown Magician on Insta. No, you're the Brown the, Magician. The Brown Magician on Insta. You always have a Brown Magician time. on Twitter. I know, I fucked it up. Yeah. I'm going to rebrand <laughs> all my shit. Fuck y'all, all right? But um, yeah, follow us on the Instas. And yeah, we hope that this becomes a regular thing. And we plan on continuously putting out episodes. So that's it. Have a good one. Take care. Peace.